Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. running, I think. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the program that dishes up a dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare, compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to actually open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, YouTubers, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we need to be studying Instead of the Word of God, yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelical, far from biblical, far from what God's Word says, and it's generally a big mess out there, and we're trying to save you an eternity of woe. That's the best way I can put it. So coming out of the shoot in 2021, uh, you, you're going to note, I'm not going to go back and do a whole thing looking at all the failed prophecies of 2020. We will be doing a uh, prophecy bingo segment, rounding up kind of the best of the worst of the uh, so-called word of the Lords for 2021. That's coming next week. But today we're going to be uh, taking on Remnant Radio. This is the first time I've taken them on. I started w- watching their YouTube channel Uh, maybe about three and a half, four months ago, and have been a careful student of what it is that they're putting forward. And they are charismatics who the best way I can describe them is is that they are very good students of Michael Brown, yeah, uh, the apostle of obfuscation. And uh, uh, despite their attempts at discernment, they are unwilling to abide by the biblical standard for what a false prophet is and and what they say and what they teach is dangerous, despite the fact that they spent eight hours on Christmas, uh, not Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, uh, walking through and looking at uh, some of the false prophecies and testing them, uh, you know, as it related to the year tw- uh, 2020. But uh, what we're going to do today, we're going to do a full-blown Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. 
And uh, we're going to follow what we've been doing in our uh, new format. Uh, we're going to be playing here on the podcast the audio from the YouTube video that we published today. So let's get to it, and let's do this uh, right, if you would. Oh, hallelujah. do today is we are going to head over to Remnant Radio, Remnant Radio, and uh, we're going to note that they spent over eight hours doing a live stream on New Year's Eve, pointing out rightly that uh, a bunch of people gave a bunch of, well, they prophesied falsely is the best way I can put it. And uh, we're going to take issue with this this thing that's going on in the charismatic movement where if somebody prophesies falsely, that doesn't make them a false prophet. That would be like saying, well, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, it required that uh, people who were caught in adultery, that they would be stoned. Since we don't stone people, if you're caught in adultery, if you've committed adultery, that doesn't mean that you're an adulterer. The logic doesn't follow, and we'll look at some biblical text to clearly demonstrate what's going wrong here. And the forgotten commandment from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We're going to take a closer look at what that says in the Hebrew and what it means to not take God's name in vain. But before we do that, I uh, wanted to give a shout-out and a thanks to our sponsor for this video. Our sponsor for this video, in fact, let me pull this up. Our sponsor for this video is uh, the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, if you are sitting there going, you know, okay, so I've been watching Fighting for the Faith or listening to the podcast, and I'm realizing that I don't really know God's word well, and you're looking for a resource that will help you go deeper in, a, in an understanding of God's word, has daily output podcasts, but done in bite-sized chunks that you can kind of digest and don't have to dedicate you know, a ton of time to, but, you know, slowly, daily. Yeah. And they also have a good resource of archive material on God's word. Then the word of the Lord endures forever is what you're looking for. Do you want a more meaningful understanding of God's word? Are you looking for in-depth biblical study? This is the place to go. And you can get there. Uh, their website is thewordendures.org, thewordendures.org. And I pulled up their archives. They have teachings on the book of Matthew, the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, the book of John. Uh, and the book of Matthew, there's 120 episodes presently there. And if you want to follow it as a daily podcast, I'll scroll down at the bottom of the page here. Uh, you can listen on iTunes. You can listen on Google Play. 
There's an RSS feed that you can sign up to. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, whatever your uh, uh, you know podcast thing is. You know, however you listen to podcasts, they've got it set up for you. In fact, you can even visit them on YouTube. So again, the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, Pastor Will Whedon is the uh, the fellow. He's a Missouri Synod uh, confessional Lutheran pastor, and he's just a fantastic exegete. And so I cannot recommend this this podcast enough, because uh, if you're looking for next steps, how, how, how do I learn what God's Word says? This is a resource for you to go to. Again, the word endures dot uh, org the word endures.org we'll put a link down to the podcast the word endures.org in our description and a big shout out and a thanks to the word of the lord endures forever for sponsoring this installment of fighting for the faith all of that being said we're going to now get into uh, my beef with the charismatic movement in their inability to actually rightly exegete God's word and rightly call those who prophesy falsely false prophets because that's what they are. And let me explain to you. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go this direction first. And uh, I'm going to show you the text that they are misappropriating in order to overturn clear passages of Scripture. So when it comes to rightly handling God's word, in in exegesis and hermeneutics, there is a hierarchy that we follow. And the basic concepts when it comes to that hierarchy include rules that go something like this. Clear passages always govern unclear passages. And off-topic passages do not get to overthrow on-topic passages. So, for instance, if you're familiar with some of the argumentation for women being pastors, well, they, there are clear texts, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, which rule it out, just straight out rule it out. And then you look at other passages, including First and Second Timothy and Titus chapter 1, which makes it clear that uh, those who are to serve as pastors in Christ's church are to be men. And they have to have a moral uh, threshold that they have to live up to. And they have a, so that's a moral standard as well as a doctrinal and theological standard. Just straight out, that's the case. Well, people say, well, in Galatians, it says that in Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Therefore, we can have women pastors. (laughs) That passage is not talking about the topic of who is qualified to be a pastor in Christ's church. So the Galatians text is an off-topic text that does not have anything to do with it, and therefore it cannot overthrow the clear on-topic passages. That's the idea. But what's happening in the charismatic movement is uh, this is where the rhetoric is going, and this is where I'm going to spend some time. So the passage that they go to now to justify what's going on within the charismatic movement in order to not rightly identify people who are false prophets as false prophets. Here's the text. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Do not quench the spirit. This is verse 19. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. Now, at this point, what they end up doing is they engage in something called eisegesis. That's where you read into the biblical text something that ain't there. So here's how how their argumentation generally goes. 
well, you see, we're, so, we're not supposed to despise prophecies, so we're supposed to test everything and hold fast to the good. Why? Well, because in the New Testament, prophecy is different than the Old Testament, and there's a different standard, and New Testament prophets have to learn how to hear God's voice, and some are better at it than others, and they have to develop this gift. No text says that, and this text doesn't say that either. In fact, if you were to read a document like the Didache, which is a first century document uh, written during the time when there were valid New Testament prophets on the earth prior to the completion of the New Testament, uh, these are people who received the gift of prophecy by the laying on of hands of an apostle, an important thing there, uh, it, it, you know, they, that what they're describing is not, is not found there at all. In fact, the, uh, the ancient church had no problem identifying false prophets as false prophets. One of the key things they said to look for is if they ask for money. If they ask for money, that's, that means they're a false prophet. <laughs> it's in the Didache. You can look it up. But here's the point. This text is, does not say that, oh, because New Testament prophets have to learn how to hear God's voice, and some people are better at it than others, and they need to develop that gift. The text doesn't say that. It says, don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good. And so what's happening in the charismatic movement is outright slander regarding people who are rightly warning the body of Christ regarding false prophets, because that's what they are. Their claim is, is that guys like me, we're despising prophecy. The reality is this, is that over and again, we put forward these prophecies and it is demonstrable on its face that these people who are bringing these prophecies forward, they're not bringing prophecies, they're bringing false prophecies. And there is a actual commandment in the Ten Commandments that is in play here, and the charismatic movement is guilty of ignoring that commandment egregiously. And the logic that they're using to justify not labeling false prophets as false prophets it, 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 is, it, it is tantamount to a false doctrine and a false teaching and borders on them teaching a different God altogether because God the Holy Spirit has laid out a very specific standard that we are to follow and prophets have a, pro, a standard that they are to live up to because it's not up to the prophet to give a word. God is the one who gives it. And there's never a case in Scripture of people having to learn how to hear the voice of God. In fact, one of the episodes I did on fighting for the faith in the past, if you want to look this up uh, in the archives of fighting for the faith, we'll put a link to it down below. I did an episode called Do Prophets Need Practice Hearing God's Voice? Do Prophets Need Practice Hearing God's Voice? This was an episode we did about a year and a half ago. And I show from Balaam, the, you know, the guy whose donkey talked to him that there is no need whatsoever to practice hearing God's voice, a rank, flat-out, pagan, idolater, sorcerer, and a fortune teller heard God's voice with no learning curve whatsoever. So uh, I would point you to that episode of Fighting for the Faith. But let's, uh, let's take a look at uh, another biblical text here. So you're going to note then, they, you know, guys like um, the guys from Remnant Radio, uh, they have misappropriated 1 Thessalonians 5, and they have read into the text things that are not there at all in order to justify the practices that they're engaging in. And the practice is what? Vague, fuzzy, inaccurate, nonspecific, generalized, 
so-called prophecies which are patently false on their face, and over and again, oftentimes utilize uh, scripture twisting to justify it. Okay, and so the, their inability to rightly call a false prophet a false prophet is problematic, and it's extremely problematic. And scripture would not go have us go this way. So what we're going to do? Let me let me do a little biblical work here first, and then we'll kind of look at this. Here's the forgotten commandment. Now, you need to understand that within visible Christianity, that uh, different confessions have a different numbering of the commandments. So uh, if you are in the Reformed camp or part of evangelicalism, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 is the third commandment for you. And uh, and then if you're in other traditions, this is the second commandment. That I'm not going to get into that argumentation. If you want to know how uh, different traditions have have numbered the commandments differently, I would recommend looking at the channel of Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, who is also a Missouri Synod pastor, and uh, he's did an entire video explaining how these different numbering systems came about and why different traditions number them the way they do. I think that's a good resource. But regardless, whether this is the second or the third commandment for you, this is a commandment that we are all still bound by. And here's what the text says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this is, I'm going to, if you remember the, uh, the episode I did talking about the King James only folks, and I noted that when it comes to rightly handling or rightly dividing the word of God or the word of truth, that uh, the the Greek there doesn't have an easy translation. Uh, if you read scholarship on this commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you'll see that there's a similar thing in place. So let me help you out here by giving you just what would be a wooden, literal translation of the text. So uh, low here means not, okay? And then here we got an interesting word, tisak. Now, this particular way, the word, the way this is working in this uh, in the sentence, you could take tasah and you could translate it as carry or take. Um, and then the next part, eth shem Yahweh, and then here we got the word for God, Elohim, and then it's got the ka at the end of it, which means your God. So eth shem Yahweh. Uh, you shall not you shall not carry let me so let me translate it this way you shall not carry the name of the lord your god um to la here is to and then here's an interesting word the word is shav you shall not take it to shav you shall not carry the name of the lord your god to shav what is shav well i'm glad you asked I actually created a little slide here to help us out here and this is from the logos uh, bible software so listen to the definitions of this word, shav. Uh, worthless, futile, inconsequential, false, destructive, magic. So uh, when, you, when we kind of translate it, you know, other ways in which it gets translated in the ESV, emptiness, falsehood, falsity, vanity, you get the idea here. So if we were to just literally translate this, this passage, you will not carry the name of the Lord your God to falsehood. That is an accurate translation. You shall not carry the name of the Lord your God to emptiness, to worthlessness, to vanity. Now you're beginning to get a better idea of what this text is saying, because I'll be blunt, is that the way it gets translated in our modern translations 
it requires explanation, especially if you're able to read the Hebrew, because the Hebrew has a deeper and more profound understanding of this. So taking the name of the Lord your God in vain would be carrying it to falsehood, to worthlessness, to vanity, using God's name for the purpose of engaging in deceit, in deception, proclaiming falsehood, false doctrine, and things like that. That's a good way to put it. To put it. So again, just a straight translation that is, again, the idiom sounds a little odd. You will not carry the name of the Lord your God to falsehood. I think that gets at this a lot better than take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But you can easily demonstrate even how we are used to hearing it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That that's what really what this is implying, what this is dealing with. So let me give you another text in the in this regard. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19. Samuel being really kind of the first uh, major prophet uh, you know, uh, uh, in the particular prophet class that uh, that existed, you know, with the rise of the monarchy in Israel, it says this regarding him: Samuel grew, and Yahweh was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. None. The standard for a true prophet is accuracy, hundred percent accuracy. It doesn't depend on the human being at all. It depends on God who speaks. And there is no biblical text that teaches that people have to learn how to hear God's voice and that some are better at tuning in to radio KGOD than others. That's ridiculous. Okay, here's another text. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 8. This is Solomon uh, in his uh, prayer of dedication for the temple. Blessed be Yahweh who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses, his servant. God's word never fails. God never lies. And so we've got a real problem here is that First Thessalonians 5 does not teach that you have to learn how to hear God's voice. It says to test and hold to that which is good, which means you have to reject what's, what isn't good, what is false. Thus says Yahweh, Isaiah chapter 44, listen to this. Thus says Yahweh, uh, uh, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am Yahweh, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates, excuse me, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. Okay, so... You're going to note here, God frustrates the signs of liars, makes fool of diviners, turns wise men back, makes their knowledge foolish, but who confirms the word of his servants? God confirms the word of his servants because he's the one who gave it to them. It's his word. So you've got to take the full counsel of the word of God on this. Now, we've covered Deuteronomy 18 with a lot of, uh, you know, in many episodes of Fighting for the Faith, and we've noted that uh, this is a text which makes it very clear that... Um, that, well, the standard is, how do you how can you tell a word that God has not spoken? How can you tell? Because it doesn't come to pass. And so verse 20 uh, says, the, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Now, in, in the ancient theocracy of Israel, false prophecy, false prophets, were stoned to death. So were adulterers. Okay, so were those who 
were absolutely rebellious against their parents. Just because we do not stone adulterers, uh, those who are disobedient to their parents and and, uh, and false prophets today, doesn't mean that there's no such thing as an adulterer, somebody who is an abuser and, and despises and dishonors their parents, or there's no such thing as a false prophet. You, you see, in order to understand how the Old Testament relates to the New, we recognize that in the Torah, there are three types of law. There is civil law, there is ceremonial law, and then there are uh, then there's moral law. And, and the idea then is in the New Testament, all the moral laws, they're all, they're all reiterated, including, including not taking God's name to falsehood or vanity. That's reiterated in the New Testament as a still as a command that is applicable today. That and the reason why is because that's part of the moral law. The moral law is universal. The moral law is forever. It you know it it is eternal. Okay, so just because we don't punish adulterers by stoning them to death doesn't mean that if you commit adultery today you're not an adulterer. But that's how the how the charismatics are arguing today. Well, because you, we don't stone adulterers today, <laughs> you know that means uh, you know that uh, we don't we we don't stone prophets either. So the standard doesn't apply. The standard applies for labeling what they are: <laughs> adulterers, slanderers, and false prophets. The standard for identifying a false prophet stays the same. Just because we do not use the same. Uh, punishments as the civil law of the Mosaic Covenant does not mean that 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 means that the standard doesn't apply as to how to identify a false prophet. So you'll note that in the ancient theocracy of Israel, false prophets were sown to death. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? Legitimate question. When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, go back. He shall die. You need not be afraid with him. Arrest him. That's the idea. In the ancient theocracy of Israel, that was what was supposed to happen. Now, that being the case, I want you to consider again this commandment from Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, or a wooden translation, you shall not carry or take the name of the Lord your God to falsehood, to worthlessness, to vanity. All right. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name to falsehood. Uh-huh. That you can tr- uh, totally translate it that way, and it still works. Takes his name to vanity, to worthlessness. God will not ha- hold him guiltless. Now, here's our next cross-reference then. Ezekiel chapter 13 works perfectly in this regard. So the word of Yahweh came to Ezekiel. The son of, son of man prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh Elohim, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. And I would note in the, uh, in the eight and a half hour long video that they did at Remnant Radio, one of the, uh, one of the well, sources that they claim these people were getting these prophecies from that turned out to be false for 2020, the source was their own heart, their own imagination. That means Ezekiel 13 is in play. And listen carefully. 
Your prophets have been like jackals among the ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of Yahweh. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord when Yahweh has not sent them. And yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. Therefore, thus says Yahweh Elohim, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares Yahweh Elohim. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your God. This is eschatological significance, by the way, as well. God is against them. You're spewing your own imaginations, lying divinations, false prophecies. Uh, Well, the Lord himself is against you. God is. And that, by the way, this, this again comports perfectly with the commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what's happening in the charismatic movement is that they are obliterating this commandment by misappropriating 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 and 20 and 21 and 22. 22 says, abstain from every form of evil. That's going to include false prophecies. And a false prophet is one who prophesies falsely. An adulterer is a person who commits adultery. A thief is somebody who steals things. A slanderer is somebody who spews lies. A murderer is somebody who kills, who has murdered a human being. A false prophet is somebody who has prophesied and continues to prophesy falsely. So we're going to note here, there are very, very stern warnings in Scripture. And what the uh, what the charismatics are doing by misappropriating this text, reading stuff into it that isn't there at all, and then using that to justify, ref- to not label false prophets as false prophets, this is criminal. It's even more dangerous than the false prophets. I would say it's far more dangerous. It's not the egregious lies oftentimes that are most dangerous, the most obvious. It's the subtle. So the problem with the um, charismatic movement, they have forgotten the commandments. They have forgotten what it means to take God's name in vain. So, um, yeah, you get the idea. And by the way, then coming back then to Matthew 28, Matthew 28 is clear. Uh, Jesus came to his disciples, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You're going to note that the Christian faith, the endeavor, and the and, and evangelism, making disciples, is all done in the name of the triune God. And if you are teaching false doctrine, you are blaspheming the name of the triune God, and you are taking his name to falsehood, which is forbidden by Exodus 20, verse 7. 
But Jesus goes on to say, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Nowhere in Scripture does Christ command, and teach the prophets how to hear my voice. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. Not where. In fact, over and again, when God speaks to people, people know that God's talking to them. Again, the case of Balaam stands out in spades. But all of that being said, let's head over to the... um, the YouTube channel for Remnant Radio. And I just want to look at one part of their video. Uh, this is, I, I end up watching this whole thing. Oh, good grief. And, and the, again, my lament here is their inability and unwillingness to rightly identify false prophets as false prophets. And that's to their shame. Their denial of Exodus 20 verse 7 is just off the chain. And that's the problem. They are ignoring the clear commands of God and the clear teachings of Scripture in this regard. But let's take a look. Okay, I think we have an extra second. Uh, and Michael is in whoop, Michael is in the queue. So we have an extra second. We're going to jump back into uh, the, the broadcast. People are already familiar with you, Michael, because you uh, came on uh, just earlier in the evening to explain to us uh, some of the Tracy Cook prophecies. You kind of gave some some discernment in, in, in tearing into that a little. Tracy Cook is a false prophet. They rightly identified that he gave absolute rank false prophecies. At the beginning of 2020. And by the way, nothing's changed. He's done the same in 2021. And I do believe Tracy Cook's 2021 prophecy will make the cut for Prophecy Bingo, which we're hoping to have next week. Can you help us understand uh, the passages in Deuteronomy that are frequently used to say, hey, if you're going to say prophecy is still a thing, you still have to hold the same standard uh, of prophecy in the Old Testament. If they get it wrong, you got to stone them. I don't know anybody. I don't know a single person, a single cessationist, who's arguing, we've got to stone false prophets. This is a red herring. This is a straw man. Nobody's arguing that. And I've been arguing for years that the standard in Deuteronomy 18 helps us identify the standard for one of the, at least one of the major standards for identifying a false prophet. Never have I argued, therefore we need to stone them. This is this is a straw man. This is a deceitful and false argument on their part. Uh, it's a common common uh, misconception <laughs> that we see. Stone them. Got to got to get them stoned. And you're up there. And yeah, well, we're supposed to stone adulterers too. Since we don't do that, does that mean there's no such thing as adultery? Or is it only adultery if um, they do so and they don't really love the person? If they truly love the person, is it no longer adultery because they meant well? Colorado, uh, so you know all about getting stoned. Let's go ahead, Michael. <laughs> Which now it's like half the states, isn't it? I don't know. All right. Yeah. Do we well, stone so, false okay. prophets? The- Nobody is arguing for that. I, I, Not me, not Justin Peters, not Phil Johnson, not John MacArthur. Who's arguing for stoning the prophets? Instead, the argument is we use Deuteronomy 18 to identify a false prophet. The big thing here is that most people, when they talk about stoning prophets, they're conflating two different passages of Scripture, one of them being Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 22, and the other being Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. Now, in Deuteronomy 18, um, this one's an interesting one because it's actually – I'm not entirely sure uh, where to apply this passage – 
whether it should be applied to all prophets in general or one specific kind of prophet. Well, that's interesting because the unanimous voice of the church through history has been false prophets who prophesy falsely are the ones to, you know, they shall die is God's command that they be killed according to the civil penalty of false prophets laid out in the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, and, and when I say kind of prophet, I'm talking about someone like Moses because that's what the text says. So in Deuteronomy 18, it's talking about the Israelites having just returned from uh, Egypt and they're, they're headed towards the promised land, but they're going to meet God on that mountain that God had originally told Moses about in Exodus 3. And so here they are. They're terrified. They don't want to go up there because they're afraid they're going to die. They see the flame. They see the smoke. They hear the voice. And, and it's just absolutely terrifying. So they tell Moses to go up by himself. So Moses begins that trek on his own, and he comes back down from the mountain, and, and he basically reports to them everything that God has said. And one of the things God said is, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among your countrymen. You shall listen to everything he says. Prophecy about Jesus. Now, later in the New Testament, this passage will be explicitly uh, used to speak about how Jesus is the fulfillment of a prophet like Moses. Yep. Um, you see Acts that on the Mount three. of Transfiguration. Uh, yeah, you see it there. You see it on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Luke, was it Luke 9? No, Luke 10. Um, maybe it's Luke 9. I'm getting them mixed up. Where, where the disciples are trying to pitch a 10, and you hear a voice from heaven say, this is my son, Listen to him. Same words being used. This is the person you're going to have to listen to that's like Moses. Um, you see it happen when they're asking John the Baptist questions about this guy. They're saying, you know, is John the Baptist the Messiah? Is he the prophet? Well, that, that word, the prophet, is is being borrowed. You know, according to their eschatology, they thought there was going to come a prophet like Moses. And so they're wondering if John the Baptist is fulfilling that role. Um, so again, with the Deuteronomy 18 passage, I'm not entirely sure how to, how to do that. Now, many people believe that it, it, so I'm talking a whole lot. I'm talking really fast because I'm trying to keep this short and sweet, but, um, with Deuteronomy 18, there is a belief that there's a lineage of prophets that would come after, and this applies to all of them that come after Moses. If that's true, um, it doesn't mention anything about stoning that person. If they get it wrong, they shall die. Let's let's take a look at the text here. Deuteronomy 18. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Thou shalt. <laughs> and so here you go. Here, and, and the thing is, is that this is consistent throughout Scripture. Again, the, it is Exodus 20, verse 7 that is in play. Let me give you an example here. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 10. An Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name. Uh, the, uh, the Hebrew here, uh, nakaf, uh, basically means to pierce. You know, blaspheme, pierce the name of God. And he cursed. Then they brought him to Moses, and his mother's name was Shalomith, the daughter of Debri and the, uh, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of Yahweh should be clear to them. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, 
saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard it lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of Yahweh shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. I don't know a single scholar that denies that the breaking of Exodus 20, verse 7, that particular commandment, that it's not blasphemy. It is. So this text makes it clear. Anybody who is guilty of blasphemy will surely be put to death. Let the cross-references speak, because if you're unclear, clear passages always govern unclear, and Leviticus 24 clearly says everybody who blasphemes will be put to death. That clears up Deuteronomy 18, that same prophet shall die. What does that mean? Being put to death. That was the civil penalty in the theocracy of Israel for those who broke the commandment found in Exodus 20, verse 7. Straight out. There's, there's your cross-reference. This is how clear passages always govern unclear. And so what I'm hearing from this fellow is, um, is his inability to cross-reference the Bible to get the clear understanding of this. But again, the point here is not whether or not the ancient theocracy of Israel, this command is a command for determining, you know, for, for stoning people today, because it's not, because the civil law of the, of the Mosaic Covenant is not in play. The moral law is to blaspheme God's name, to take his name, to carry his name into falsehood, is a, in the ancient theocracy of Israel was punishable by death, but the standard for determining whether or not somebody has taken God's name to falsehood stands according to Deuteronomy 18, and that is if somebody speaks a word presumptuously, a word that God has not spoken. Ezekiel 13, again, is our good cross-reference here as well, making it very clear that God is against those who do this. But we, I digress. Let's keep going. Let's say that if they speak presumptuously or if they speak in the name of other gods, and you'll notice that that presumptuous and in the name of other gods is kind of going together because that's a similar error. In other words, they're leading people into rebellion. Yeah, I, I'm just going to point out the point. And if you say, how will we know the word of the God, uh, that the, 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 the prophet has spoken in the name? We're, okay, let's see here. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him or, or who speaks in the name of other gods. You're going to note here, <laughs> he's not even, he's like missing the exegesis here. The two go together, he shall die. In Deuteronomy 13, let me pull that up real quick. Duplicate tab. Hang on a second here. Hopefully I'm not confusing you on the argument. I'll clear it up. Deuteronomy 13 is dealing with the or portion of Deuteronomy 18. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and he says, let us go after other gods, which we have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Yahweh is testing you uh, to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, you shall uh, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments. But that prophet or that dreamer shall be put to death. Okay? <laughs> shall be put to death. Shall be put to death. And you're going to note here, I'm going to walk you through this. 
this is the this is the or portion of Deuteronomy 18. Okay. Uh, that I have not commanded him. So uh, a prophet who presumes to speak a word that I have not commanded him or speaks in the name of other gods, uh huh. that same prophet shall die. This is not a conflation of Deuteronomy 18 and, uh, 18 and 13. Deuteronomy 18 and 13 are commanding and prescribing the exact same thing. Leviticus 24 confirms this. All who break that commandment second or third, depending on how you number it. All who do that, according in the ancient world, were put to death. The two work together. But he's engaging in an exegetical obfuscation here. Against Yahweh. Um, that, that God himself will take that person out. He'll kill them. Uh, and, and as regard- That's not what uh, Deuteronomy 18 is saying. The people and their response, they're supposed to just not be afraid of the person if the word doesn't come. Yeah, not being afraid means arrest them. Pass. And so you see something like that being fulfilled with Hananiah uh, when he counsels rebellion against God. He's basically telling the Israelites, it's okay what you're doing. You're worshiping false gods on every mountain. And Jeremiah confronts him on this and says, you're going to die because you've counseled rebellion. And then he literally dies. Mm -hmm. So um, before I go to the Deuteronomy 13 passage, was there any questions you guys had or monkey wrenches you want to throw at that? Right. So Uh, I've already thrown my monkey wrenches at it. Deuteronomy 18 includes Deuteronomy 13. And the command that, you know, from Deuteronomy 13 is the exact same command of Deuteronomy 18, just in different words. Again, Leviticus 24 confirms it. What you're saying is Deuteronomy 13 is a um, prophetic declaration of a prophet that is to come that's going to be like Moses. Um, Deuteronomy 18, not Deuteronomy Deuter- 13. No, Deuteronomy 18 is, get, is going beyond that. Every prophet who presumes to speak a word that God has not spoken the standard of Deuteronomy 18 is, is that they say something's going to happen and it doesn't. That proves that they have not spoken according to Yahweh. Again, Ezekiel 13 is in play here. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 is about uh, Jesus. It's uh, the prophet who's going to come, who's going to be like Moses. Uh, and there's going to be people who are going to come, who are going to presumptuously act like this, that they're also going to be put to death because they're, they're presuming to be that prophet, that Messiah. Notice how he's twisting this text. Deuteronomy 18. If you say in your heart, how may we know the word, devar, that Yahweh has not spoken? How That's the question that is being answered now. How do we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? And what this fellow here just did, he added to this text and made it say something different than what it's saying. This is sick. You like Moses, uh, and there's going to be people who are going to come, who are going to presumptuously act like this, that they're also going to be put to death because they're they're presuming to be that prophet, that Messiah. Uh, and not the word Messiah is not being used here. Uh, is is that? Am I hearing you correctly? Uh, that anyone who comes after, who's pretending to be this Moses-like prophet, that that no. How do we know the word of the Lord that Yahweh has not spoken? How do we know the word that Yahweh has not? Sp- That's the question. One is going to die. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, you know, you also see some other unique things about Moses, like in Numbers 12, you know, it says that he spoke with God face to face as man speaks with man, not so with all my other prophets. With them I speak in riddles or dark sayings, things that require interpretation and dependence on God. Um, so there's, I mean, Moses is also the one who brought in the, the old covenant and the law. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jesus would later usher in grace. Um, and fulfill the law. 
Yeah, so, I would say to me that's the that's the big like prophet like me. I understand to be Moses as a um, as a covenant mediator. He yeah. was the mediator of the old. Again, the text says, "If you say in your heart, how may we know the word Yahweh has not spoken?" That's the question. They're doing everything they can to obfuscate and blur those words and say, oh, well, this is only referring to people who claim to be like Moses. No, it's not. How may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, anybody speaks in the name of Yahweh. If the word does not come to pass, that is a word Yahweh has not spoken. That's the standard for a false prophet, one of the standards. Covenant, and they were expecting another prophet to come. And as further prophets began to elaborate, like Jeremiah, and they began to expect this new and better covenant, yeah, right. they started to yeah. attach that to this prophet like me. And so that's exactly what Jesus was. So what I hear Michael saying is Deuteronomy 18 is being used frequently to say, if a prophet gets it wrong, kill them. But No one is saying that. That's a red herring and a flat-out straw man. Deuteronomy 18 explicitly gives us one of the standards for determining whether or not someone is a false prophet today. Deuteronomy 18 does not say that. Deuteronomy 18 says there's going to be a prophet who arises that's like Moses, and there are other people who may impersonate that guy, and and they're going to be put to death. It doesn't say how they're going to be put to death. It just says they're going to die. Exactly. So first of all, it doesn't say stone them. It just says they will die, which very well could be. Shall die. Again, look at your cross-references, Leviticus 24 and also Deuteronomy 13. The Lord is the one who executes the capital punishment. Sure. Uh, Okay, so first of all, the idea of stoning is a conflating of Deuteronomy 13, which, Michael, I know you're about uh, to get. It's not. Exegetically, what you're saying is not true. Deuteronomy 18 includes both. But, uh, you know, this is what every Bible interpretation class in any seminary is ever going to teach is that you always have to pay attention to the context. And the context of Deuteronomy 18 is not just like a random, let me give you some advice about prophecy. It's coming in the context of a prophet like me. So, yeah, um, I think it's worthwhile to look at commentaries written by scholars on that passage. You're going to find the exact same thing said as what we just said. Yep. Yeah. So let's jump to prophecy. Not for all prophets, just for that one specifically. Deuteronomy 13 is the next one, right? Yes. Let me read it. Cool. Um, If a prophet or a dreamer of... Uh, a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams for the Lord, your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, you shall walk after the Lord, your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you um, leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you. Okay, so purge the evil in your midst. That's how it finishes. What doth thou say, Michael? Yeah, purge the evil from your midst. You'll note Deuteronomy 18, we looked at it, includes both the one who teaches falsely as well as the one who prophesies presumptuously. 
Yeah, so um, what you have here is something entirely different than what people are attributing to those who are supposed to get stoned and killed. Uh, no, actually, it's not because Deuteronomy 18 gives the same command. He shall die. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a problem. In this, this, this is the contortions of Scripture that the Charismatics go through in order to not label patently, truly false prophets as false prophets. This person isn't getting it wrong. Yeah, their, their qualification for being false is not that they got the words wrong. It's actually that they got them right. In this particular case, they got it right, and there's there's no clear use of, let's say, the breaking of the commandment, taking the name of the Lord your God to falsehood or vanity. Instead, it's a breaking of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Um, it's not that they're powerless and, and failing in power. It's actually that they're showing some sort of demonstration, tam- tangible demonstrations of power. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that leading you to worship other gods. So, uh, you know, in a past podcast that we've done, we talked about how you're supposed to judge a prophet by his fruit. And people are like, well, what about the, the Mormons? You know, you see them displaying all kinds of fruit, uh, kindness, gentleness, peacefulness. Um, well, Strangely enough, uh, Joseph Smith also gave false prophecies. Not just that he had people believing in a false god. They, he also gave false prophecies. Are we supposed to take them seriously because they demonstrate those fruits? Well, yeah, there is, there is that. They are supposed to be demonstrating those fruits. But then there's that other qualification of are they leading you to worship other gods? Yeah. And I would say Joseph Smith is absolutely leading you to worship a different god. Uh, so note, by their refusal to abide by the standard of Deuteronomy 18, you're only able to consider somebody like Joseph Smith a false prophet because he has a false god, not because he prophesied falsely. And so, uh, and, and again, the big marker here is why would people be deceived by words that they're getting wrong or words that they're getting right? See, the, the, the reason it's so deceptive is because they're getting it right, not because they're getting it wrong. The issue is Deuteronomy 18 makes it clear somebody's a false prophet if they get it wrong, too. It's because they're demonstrating power. And so in that, they're saying, come and worship these other gods. Um, and I would even say that, that, that this, can, this can be a little bit more uh, deceptive and tricky in that sometimes a false prophet will demonstrate real power. And instead of getting you to worship Yahweh, Jesus, they will get you to worship them to where you feel like to question that particular prophet, I say that with quotation marks because I think they're false, uh, you'll think to question them is to question God. And that, to me, is something that we've seen happen and is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Um, it's so, because of the power that we would be deceived. If someone like Joseph Smith or in a hyper-charismatic movement is saying, follow me instead of following God, do you stone him, Michael? Again, this is a straw man. I don't know a single cessationist arguing for the stoning of today's false prophets. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not carrying out Old Testament Israel's uh, governmental laws. Civil laws, yeah. Uh, I'm not living in Israel. Uh, I am not. No one is living in ancient Israel. An Israelite per se. I guess I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm not there. And I, I don't think that even Israel is living by their law today. So that's that's an interesting point and a point worth bringing up is, is what we're saying is uh, most of the time this kind of argumentation is, is brought up. It's kind of a straw man argument. The arg- 
you're the one making the straw man because no cessation is arguing for, yeah, we got to stone these guys. No, the standard of Deuteronomy 18 is in place still today as the standard for identifying a false prophet. Documentation goes something like, uh, "Hey, if you want to live by infal- uh, if you want to live by prophecy, say prophecy still exists, right? Then we have to use prophecy and judge prophecy like they did in the Old Testament. The standard is still the same. Well, then you'd have to say, did they do that in the New Testament? Like when someone got it wrong, were they who got it wrong in the New Testament? Which of the New Testament prophets got it wrong?" Owned violently. Um, yeah, they I don't weren't know allowed to live out their completely. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, and also they stoned adulterers too. So yep. if somebody commits adultery in your church, uh, do you stone them? <laughs> now, this is silly. I've pointed out here that just because we don't stone adulterers according to the civil laws of the Mosaic Covenant doesn't mean that there's no such thing as adultery. The standard for determining adultery is still the same regardless of whether or not the civil penalties of the Mosaic Covenant are in play or not. These guys, they they are arguing backwards, and they're not rightly handling God's word at all. So I think what Michael says about the the theocratic rules and regulations and laws that applied to Israel are uh, often applied differently today. Okay, so the two passages that are... So, no, Deuteronomy 18 is an extension of Exodus 20, verse 7, not taking God's name, carrying it to falsehood. That's what that is. The penalty for breaking that commandment in ancient Israel was stoning. But still, it's Exodus 20, verse 7, that determines the commandment that's being broken. And blasphemy is still a thing. And people who are prophesying, saying, God told me that 2020 is going to be the year of breakthrough and that there's going to be football stadiums filled with uh, with people being brought to faith in Christ. There's going to be evangelism, you know, and, the, and a billion souls harvest, and it didn't come to pass. That person blasphemed. They broke that commandment. They took God's name to falsehood. That's the point. It's the same as... You know, physically, if you're sleeping with somebody who isn't your spouse, you're committing adultery. That's just how that works. Often used in the Old Testament, talk about stoning the prophets, is in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 13. In Deuteronomy 13, uh, they are saying, this guy's going to get it right, and he's going to lead God's people astray. Deuteronomy 18, this is a prophetic word about Jesus. Uh, No, it's not exclusively about it because the text makes it clear that any prophet who says something's going to happen and it doesn't is guilty of speaking presumptuously. And they're going to be people who come trying to be Jesus and trying to instill a different covenant, and they're going to die. Those are the words. No, your misrepresentation of Deuteronomy 18. Uh, Neither of those have anything to do with Old Testament so, prophets in the Old Testament this, getting it wrong, getting stoned. Yeah, so, so, Michael, what's the, is the what is the relevance for— Watch what they do with this now. Our discussion is we're reviewing words for 2020. How do we translate this into the reviews that we're giving to these uh, folks who are yeah, sharing prophetic words? that's it. That's a great question. I think, uh, you know, you've got one camp that would say, just write these guys off. They're all false prophets. They are, biblically. It's demonstrable. Don't listen to them. God does not will for you to listen to them. And Ezekiel 13 makes it clear that God is against them. I would absolutely disagree with that. I, I think many of these guys are probably very prophetic. 
how? How are they very prophetic when they say, thus saith the Lord and the Lord hasn't thus saith? That makes no sense. In what capacity are they then prophetic? I think they may be operating outside of their sphere. Oh, operating outside of their sphere. Um, the fact that their words didn't come to pass, well, they're not claiming to be infallible to begin with. That doesn't <clears> – that's not the point. Deuteronomy 18, when a prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, and it's not just maybe one son who's like claiming to be like Moses or whatever. If the word doesn't come to pass or come true, that is a word Yahweh has not spoken. They are a false prophet. These guys have engaged in all kinds of obfuscation to avoid the, the, the elephant in the room. And that is, is that within the charismatic movement, even among those who are recognizing, yeah, we got some guys over here who gave prophecies and that didn't come to pass. Uh, and, but you know, the elephant in the room that they don't want to talk about is that they're not, you know, they're not any better themselves. There are no New Testament or even Old Testament quality prophecies being given in these churches at all. And the problem is, is that even when there's places that get, you get a prophecy that is right, you you got the rest of it where it's these vague generalities of nonsense. Um, They're not claiming to be mediators of the new covenant either. That's not a requirement. Again, the requirement of Deuteronomy 18 is when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, period. Um, No, no, I haven't listened to all the words, nor do I know all the guys on here, so I can't make much of a reflection. But I would just be really careful to call somebody a false prophet because they've gotten a word wrong. Hopeless. This is more dangerous. This is... This is Michael Brown uh, kind of territory at this point. This is obfuscation off the chain. They are misappropriating off-topic or unclear passages, obliterating the clear. And by this logic, well, prophesying falsely doesn't make you a false prophet. Therefore, committing adultery doesn't make you an adulterer. Stealing doesn't make you a thief. Lying doesn't make you a liar. You, you, You get the idea. This is nonsense. This is really dangerous. And the commandment that is being broken, and again, I'll, I'll kind of just end on this. You shall not carry the name of the Lord your God to falsehood. That's just the literal reading of what the Hebrew says here. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name to falsehood. That's what Exodus 20 verse 7 says, just literally woodenly in the Hebrew. And the fact is, is that the charismatic movement cannot abide by the biblical standard because they believe falsely that somehow it's up to the person to lean in to to you know to learn and dedicate themselves to hearing the voice of God and at the beginning of that eight and a half hour marathon the two main hosts of remnant radio both confessed to being false prophets inadvertently because they both admitted that they have given prophecies that were not true and they need to repent. The biblical standard is clear. The reason why those false, the, the, the reason why the 2020 prophets are all false is because they gave false words. And this is objectively, biblically demonstrable. 
and the charismatic movement is not willing to abide by the standard of God's word and will do anything to blur Deuteronomy 18 to make it so it doesn't apply so they can carry on their merry way giving their false and vague prophecies while at the same time recognizing, well, you know, that person, they, they got a few things wrong for 2020, so there wasn't a billion souls harvest, and none of them saw COVID coming. But, the, but the, yeah, that doesn't make them false prophets. They're still very prophetic. This is a lie. Absolute lie. I think you get the point. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire.